Right, if you have your Bibles this morning, we're going to be in the book of Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 36, and um, got a little story um, to tell about a guy named Hezekiah. Uh, every year, um, kind of as we start the new year, the first sermon is typically about prayer because we want to think about that and, and concentrate on that and let our year be marked by that. Boy, this coming year more than ever, for some reason in my heart, it's just one of those things where I'm just kind of locked in going, I need to pray better. I need to pray more. I need to pray with um, this sense of fervency and uh, this sense of dependence. Uh, we as a church, we need to pray more. We need to um, be people who are marked by dependence upon God. And so this is this text that God uh, kind of led me to over the past uh, couple of weeks as I was thinking about this, this, um, this particular sermon. So um, here's what I want to do. It's... Uh, Really, it's a, it's a story, and so I want to kind of tell the story, but we need some background in order to get it all. So in Isaiah chapter 36, we're going to read the first three verses and just give some background here, okay? In the 14th year of King Hezekiah, Sennacherib, king of Assyria, came up against all the fortified cities of Judah and took them. And the king of Assyria sent the Rabshakeh. Now, isn't that an awesome name right there? Uh, it's really not a name. It's, 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 a, um, it's a title. It's kind of like a a general and spokesman all wrapped into one, sent, uh, sent the Rabshakeh from Lachish to King Hezekiah at Jerusalem with a great army. And he stood by the conduit of the upper pool on the highway uh, to the washer's field. And there came out to him Eliakim, the son of Hilkiah, uh, who was over the household, and Shebna, the secretary, and Joah, uh, the son of Asaph, the recorder. And so he just paint the picture here. King Hezekiah is in Jerusalem. Um, uh, the Sennacherib, the king of Assyria, is one bad dude, okay? And he is like wiping stuff off the face of the map. And he sends his kind of top general and spokesman um, to Jerusalem uh, to speak to King Hezekiah and to the people of Judah. And uh, uh, he's standing there and he's getting ready to say some stuff. We'll look at here in just a second. But here's this, just a little backstory to kind of fill in the gaps a little bit because I'm just guessing here. I'm just guessing. Anybody do Hezekiah devotionals over the past couple of days? Anybody? Has, anybody? Okay, so let's just back up, just in case you don't remember. Uh, Hezekiah, okay, King Hezekiah. His dad uh, was a guy named Ahaz. Now, in the Old Testament, uh, there's basically, when you read uh, 1 Samuel, 2 Samuel, 1 Kings, 2 Kings, 1 Chronicles, 2 Chronicles, you kind of very quickly get a description of somebody, and it was something along the lines of, he was a bad king because he didn't walk in the ways of the Lord. Ahaz followed in that, he was a bad king, okay? Uh, he was so bad, as a matter of fact, Hezekiah's dad was Ahaz. He was so bad, as a matter of fact, that um, Ahaz, because of his um, lack of faith, um, lack of obedience to the Lord, uh, lack of, uh, um, uh, I mean, he just, he just was marked by compromise over and over and over again. He even sacrificed his son um, by fire to, to the gods of the land. Like, this is a bad dude, okay? Now, King Ahaz, that, that was his dad. He was a bad king, even sacrificing his son. But Hezekiah, this is good news, Hezekiah was nothing like his dad. Hezekiah was a good king. Now, he didn't set out to be not like his dad. Um, sometimes, if we could just get a little reflective for a moment here, um, sometimes we set out to be the opposite of somebody. Instead of responding to what we should be, we're responding to what somebody else should not be. Anybody? No? No? Okay. Well, if you know somebody like that, you just pass that along. Instead of um, uh, focusing on what we should be, we're focusing on, on um, not being something that somebody else shouldn't be as well. 
Hezekiah wasn't trying to not be like his dad. He was just trying to follow the Lord. And he was nothing like his, his father at all. So 2 Kings 18 verse 6 describes it this way. Listen, for he, this is Hezekiah, for he held fast to the Lord. Wouldn't that be a great description if we could write this over 2017? We just fly this banner, just put it on our, uh, you know, on the website, if you will, of our lives. For we were a people who held fast to the Lord. Come hell or high water, heaven's greatest joy. Um, come good times, bad times, mountains, valleys, uh, gray hair, no hair. You know, I mean, like, we held fast to the Lord. Maybe. Hezekiah held fast to the Lord. He did not depart from following him, but kept the commandments that the Lord commanded Moses. And may we be those kind of people. Hezekiah was a good king. And better, his personal integrity had a national impact because he was the king in leadership. Um, his personal integrity before the Lord had a national impact. Now that's a really good thing to pray for us as we get ready for a presidential transition, as we get, some of you are facing other leadership transitions in, in other aspects of your life. Man, may my personal integrity have a broader impact because it always will. It always will. Um, and then finally, uh, we see here uh, at the first part of uh, chapter 36 that Hezekiah, even though he was not his dad, who was a bad king. Even though he had a, uh, his, his heart was committed to the Lord, he was a good king. Uh, even though his personal integrity allowed God to bring blessings to, to Judah, he still came under attack by Sennacherib. That's the background. That's what we're facing here. And so Sennacherib sends the Rabshakeh, um, and he speaks to him, all these crazy things. And I, here's what I want to say to you as we think about verse, uh, excuse me, as we think about 2017, is that... Um, Every person who's trying to do the right thing, no matter, you know, it's a New Year's resolution for you or whatever, every person who is trying to do the right thing, you will neither escape um, nor will you escape unscathed hardships and trials. If you are out trying to do the right thing, sometimes in our minds we think, hey, I'm out here trying to do the right thing. My life ought to be easy. That's not how this goes. In fact, every person who's trying to do the right thing will neither escape hardship nor escape those hardships unscathed. You just won't. Why? One, because you're swimming against the tide of a decaying world. You're going the opposite way of how the world is going. Anybody notice that the world's crazy out there right now? Um, don't know if you saw in the news this morning when you woke up after you, uh, you know, had your coffee or whatever. Um, you know, significant um, attack in Turkey last night. Two dudes dressed up like Santa Claus came in and shot up a place. 39 dead and counting. I mean, the world's crazy. The world's crazy. Uh, so if you're out there trying to do the right thing, you won't escape hardship and you won't escape those hardships unscathed. Um, and part of that is because you're swimming against the tide of a decaying world. Part of that is because you have an enemy a spiritual, you're in a spiritual fight, whether you recognize it or not, whether you want to be or not, whether you think you signed up for it or not. When you committed your life to Jesus, you pledged allegiance to the opposite side of Satan in the kingdom of darkness. And so now not only are you swimming upstream against a decaying world, but you are also fighting a spiritual enemy who absolutely hates the light. Anytime you step in to bring light into a situation, there's going to, you, what you will find is an enemy there who hates that. And thirdly, sometimes not only are you swimming upstream against the decaying world and bringing light into situations uh, where an enemy, you have an enemy who hates that. 
Thirdly, sometimes God will allow us to endure hardship to show just how precious a treasure Jesus is to us. He will allow those things to come into our lives so that we on to Jesus more tightly and more dearly, and in doing so, people around us are witnesses to, man, there must be something to this. There must be something to this. Why, why would he do that? Because the way you show value of something is by how much you are willing to sacrifice for it. And so when we, hardships come and we're holding precious Jesus, this treasure that we have, and we're sacrificing quite a lot to hold on to him instead of just going the way that, that, that you know, an easier way. Holding on to him instead, what it shows is um, that, that he really is a treasure to us. So that's the background, if you will. Um, and, and these attacks, when they show up, um, these attacks sound something like this. We'll, we'll walk through this text here. Uh, they, they sound something like this. Verse 4, And the Rabshakeh said to them, Say to Hezekiah, Thus says the great king, the king of Assyria, and now, Hezekiah is a king, right? And so when Rabshakeh goes, thus says the great king, what's he saying? You're not the great king, by the way. Um, said, thus says the great king, the king of Assyria, on what do you rest this trust of yours? That's really kind of the first question. Who do you trust? Attacks sound like this. Who are you really trusting and who do you trust? Keep going, verse 5. Do you think that mere words are strategy and power for war? In whom do you know, excuse me, in whom do you now trust that you have rebelled against me? Behold, you are trusting in Egypt, that broken reed of a staff which will pierce the hand of any man who leans on it, such as Pharaoh, king of Egypt, to all who trust in him. But if you say to me, oh, 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 we trust in the Lord our God. Is it not he whose high places and altar Hezekiah has removed? Now just pause right there. Hezekiah had indeed cleansed the temple, gone through all these things. This is part of his being a good king and a, and a person of integrity and a leader nationally. He had, he had cleansed the temple, reinstituted temple worship, reinstituted the Passover, had taken down the other places of sacrifice and idolatry in, in, in um, Judah. And so the Rabshakeh comes along and goes, hey, listen, people were sacrificing to the Lord God up there on the mountain. I mean, doing all these things. I mean, you took those things away. That's what he's saying. Um, in verse 8, come now, make a wager with my master, the king of Assyria. I will give you 2,000 horses if you are able on your part to set riders on them. How then can you repulse a single captain among the least of my master's servants when you trust in Egypt for chariots and for horses? And moreover, is it without the Lord that I've come up against this land to destroy it? The Lord said to me, go up against this land and destroy it. When, when attacks, when they come, they sound a little bit like that. Who, who do you trust? Who do you trust? It's a worthwhile question. It's an important question. But when this particular kind of attack comes, listen, listen, for if you will, for right things to be said about you, but wrong things to be said about God. Right things to be said about you sounds like, uh, you know, hey, listen, you, you don't have a lot to lean on here. That's true, isn't it? Some of us are facing situations now, or we will face situations to come in 2017 where we won't have a lot to lean on. If we trust in earthly things, indeed, like you said, you're trusting in the king of Egypt, he's a broken reed, and you're going to lean on him, and he's going to go right through your fingers, just right, he's going to pierce you, he'll make you bleed. Right things about you, but wrong things about God, because what has he said about God? Hey, isn't these, aren't these the altars that Hezekiah tore down from the high places? Where was the sole place where sacrifices were supposed to be made in, in, um, in Judah? Where was it? In the temple. 
in the temple. And Hezekiah had done the right thing about that. So when attacks come like this, sometimes it sounds like uh, uh, right things about you, but wrong things about God. And here's what you need to know. Be certain that any lie that is said about God is not from God. Whenever somebody starts talking and you're like, no, that's not true about God, guess what? It's not from God. Attacks also sound like this. Don't you want peace? Look down, if you skip down a few verses here. Uh, to, to verse 13. Then the Rabshakeh stood, called out in a loud voice. Now he's not just talking to leadership. Now he's talking to the city at large. Hear the words of the great king, the king of Assyria. Thus says the king, don't let Hezekiah deceive you, for he will not be able to deliver you. Um, do not let Hezekiah make you trust in the Lord by saying the Lord will surely deliver us. This city will not be given into the hand of the king of Assyria. Do not listen to Hezekiah, for thus says the king of Assyria, make your peace with me and come out to me. Then each of you will eat his own vine, each of you will uh, uh, one of his own, and each one of his own fig tree, and each one of you will drink the water of his own cistern, and so forth. Do you want peace? The reason uh, he was saying it loudly because he was trying to build this consensus. And oftentimes, uh, when this happens, uh, when attacks like this, when the enemy attacks like this. Uh, this is what happened. He's trying to build consensus around you to make you feel really, really lonely. Even though you know what's right, sometimes the temptation to do what's wrong, it's not really a temptation. But the temptation not to be lonely is the doorway that the enemy uses to get us to walk away from the things that we know to be right. There was a, I was in a speech major in college. Um, did a, a small group um, class, small group communications class, and I, I, this guy quoted the study, and I actually dug back through some notes to see if I could find the study. Um, but it was a simple math problem that was put on the board, and there were seven people who had to answer the math problem, simple algebra problem, you know, whatever the number. And, and um, it, it was so easy that, like, you know, basically anybody could have done it. You could have done it in your head. It should have been super easy. But the, they designed the, pro the project such that the, it was a groupthink project. The first six people were in on the experiment. And the first six people answered the same way, but wrongly. And then the seventh person was the, the, the person that they were actually experimenting on. And so now you've got six people, boom, 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 boom. It's, you know, it's 42, it's 42, it's 40. What, what, what? You know, you're sitting there and all of a sudden you're the seventh person. And what are you thinking? Dude, did I do the math right here? Like surely, like one, two, three. Counting fingers, toes, that kind of thing. And it was some astounding thing. Again, I may be off on the percentage just a little bit, but it was something like two-thirds, 70% of the people who were in position seven went with the group. Why? Because their desire not to be lonely and look dumb conquered what they knew to be right. Sometimes when the enemy comes along and he says, hey, don't you just want to get along? Don't you just want peace? Don't you want to just be friends here? Like, go, go on about this. Sometimes what he's doing there is trying to appeal to your sense of being lonely. Um, whenever this attack comes, uh, this, this promise of peace at the cost of freedom is from the enemy instead of peace as a benefit of the freedom we have. Anytime we have to sacrifice our freedom in Christ in order to have peace, that's... that's, that's demonic. That, that's not from the Lord. Last thing, and I just want to move here. The last attack that comes sounds something like this. So you've got, who do you trust? Don't you want peace? And where is your God? Where's your God? Look, look at verse, look, just skip down to chapter 37. Look at verse 10. 37 verse 10. Thus you shall speak 
to Hezekiah, king of Judah, don't let your God in whom you trust deceive you by promising that Jerusalem will not be given into the hand of king of Assyria. Behold, you've heard what the kings of Assyria have done to all lands, devoting them to destruction. And shall you be delivered? Have the gods of the nations delivered them? The nations that my fathers destroyed, Gozan and Haran and Rezeph and the people of Eden who were in Telassar. Where is the king of Hamath? Where's the king of Arpeh? The king of the uh, city of Seraph? Sephbaim, the king of Hena, or the king of Eva, and on and on and on. And, and what, what's he saying when he's doing this? Hey, you think your God is going to do this for you when all these other gods didn't do it for them? Where is your God? It's the most frontal attack, and it's the attack that the enemy wages and launches against those who are struggling in their faith because they've got other stuff that are going on. Um, when you get the diagnosis or when the email comes or when the pink slip shows up or uh, whatever. And, you know, there's just kind of front, full frontal attack. They just charge right in where the enemy comes along and goes, where is God? I mean, if he were really here, if he were really real, if he were really on your side, if he were really for you, if he were really whatever, don't you think he would do something about this? Don't you think? <clears throat> this last little bit that we read actually came in a letter to Hezekiah. God had orchestrated some events such that the Rabshakeh had, had been drawn off to, to deal with another issue. And he sent this letter to Hezekiah saying, hey, Hezekiah, don't, don't you think that you're getting off the hook here? I'm coming back. That's what he said. So he sent this letter. And, and what, what did Hezekiah do? I love this. Verse 14. Hezekiah received the letter from the hand of the messengers and read it. And Hezekiah, he, he didn't ignore it, right? And Hezekiah went up to the house of the Lord, and you see that next phrase? And spread it before the Lord. I love that. He just, he took the letter, and he's like, oh, dude, this is some sort of bad news right here. Okay. Let's go before the Lord, and let's just go, all right, God, here it is. I'm just, just going to spread it before you. Isn't that a great picture? Hezekiah's first response and his best response was prayer. I don't know what 2016 held for you personally, some of you. Uh, I don't know what 2017 holds, but man, our first response and our best response is going to be what? Prayer. And I love this image. I think we're probably just going to dwell on this for a while. We'll even respond differently here in just a moment. Um, but his first response, his best response was prayer. And the first thing that he did was walk into the, the, the presence of God and go, Hey, God, I'm at a loss to know what to do here. I just spread it out before you because I'm at a loss. He took this, he read it. Um, he, he, didn't, he wasn't in denial. He just said it before God, like, I don't know what to do. I have no idea what to do. Here it is, God. Some of you are in situations like that. Some of you are facing situations like that. And your absolute best response is to take whatever it is and just to set it before God. Spiritually, certainly. Maybe even physically, where you have a place where you normally pray, where you normally uh, visit with God, have a time where you are with Him. What if you just printed out that email and just set it there with you? And you're like, okay, God, here it is. But if you just took that note or whatever and you just said it before God, okay, God, this, this is what we need to talk about today. Hey, I'm at a loss to, do, uh, to know what to do, and so I'm bringing this before you. Skip down a couple of verses. Well, let's, let's, just, uh, let's just read on. We're going to stop at verse 17. Verse 15, And Hezekiah prayed 
to the Lord. O Lord of hosts, God of Israel, enthroned above the cherubim, you are the God, you alone, of all the kingdoms of the earth. You've made heaven and earth. Verse 17, incline your ear, O Lord, and hear. Open your eyes, O Lord, and see and hear all the words of Sennacherib, which he has sent to mock the living God. Did you see that? To mock the living God. So when Hezekiah spread out the letter, like, God, I don't know what to do here. I don't know what to do. What he was convinced of was this. God, this is really about you and not me. This is really about you. He, his prayer sounded something like this. This is about you. Second Chronicles, uh, the retelling of this story in Second Chronicles uh, verse 30, chapter 32, verse 17 said, uh, described the letter this way, that, that Sennacherib had sent this letter via the Rabshakeh um, to uh, put contempt on the Lord, he, 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 uh, to cast contempt upon the Lord. So really Hezekiah is going, hey God, listen, I may benefit if you act, but the deal is this is really about you. Prayer has this incredible way of dethroning us, but also empowering us. I may benefit from, from God answering in some way, but I'm not going to pretend. I'm not going to uh, pretend that I'm the most important part of this equation when I'm praying here. Who's the most important part of the equation? He is. Thus, Paul comes along in Philippians chapter 1 and says, for me, to live is Christ. To live is Christ. In other words, I'm not the most important person in this equation. Like, I'm putting this before you, God. I'm praying before you, God. I'm setting these things before you, God. And I, I certainly want you to act. And I want you to, you know, do something here. And I may benefit from that, but I'm not going to pretend that I'm the most important person here. You are. Prayer has this way of dethroning us, and that's a good thing. But not just dethroning us. Prayer also has a way of empowering us because in prayer, God finds those men and women who are willing to do what no one else will. He just, God, here we are. Now, this is about you. And I, I, I want to be, I just want to set this before you and figure out what, what needs to be done here. And again, I know some of you have places, situations where you need to set some things before the Lord and say, God, and ultimately this is about you and it's not about me. Um, last thing, it's under this how he prayed, because he did. He, his first and best response was prayer. And his prayer sentence something like this, God, would you see, and would you hear, and would you act? So he says, in verse 17 again, incline your ear, O Lord, hear. Open your eyes, O Lord, and see. Hear all the words of Sennacherib, which he has sent to mock the living God. Truly, O Lord, the kings of Assyria have laid waste to all the nations and their lands and have cast the gods into the fire, for they were no gods, but the work of men's hands, wood and stone. Therefore, they were destroyed. So now, O Lord, save us from his hand, that all the kingdoms of the earth uh, may know that you alone are the Lord. So see, hear, act. God, open your ears, hear what's going on. See what's happening, because they have laid waste to the land, and God, we want you to act in some way. When he prayed, some of what his prayer was motivated by fear. Anybody ever taken anything before to God because of fear? God, I'm really scared. This is what's going on. But his prayer was not only motivated by fear, but also fear of the Lord. 
That's an important part of this equation. God, you're big. Um, th- those things were not God's. You're God. Those things, they could cast into the fire. Nobody's casting you into the fire. So now, God, based upon who you are, would you now act? And he had some specific ways in which he wanted him to do. I am all for praying specifically about these things. He says in verse 20, save us from this, this guy. Save us from his hand. See, hear, But he also surrendered. He also surrendered to God. Remember what he did with the letter? He spread it out before the Lord. He spread it out before the Lord. And if if God didn't act in the way that he thought, he was still before the Lord. He was still in the right place. Uh, Walking through Target uh, yesterday, two days ago, whenever it was, kids in tow, we're going through there because they got gift cards, you know, can't have a gift card and not spend it, that kind of thing. So off we go. Target. Uh, Garth Brooks, uh, like 10... CD collection or something. It was this massive collection of Garth Brooks, right? And, uh, you know, Jenny and I, as we were walking by, we were like, hey, I remember hey, you know, that kind of thing. I remember that song. Uh, one of the songs was Unanswered Prayer. Anybody remember Garth Brooks' Unanswered Prayer? Uh, the line, Some, sometimes I thank God uh, for unanswered prayer. And, and it, it struck me when I was thinking about this, like, the most important unanswered prayer I mean, Hezekiah, he laid it out before God, but he also surrendered going, God, you know what's best. And the most important unanswered prayer was a prayer that went unanswered in the Garden of Gethsemane. Father, if there's any way that this cup can pass from me, man, that's what I want. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. Surrender has to be a part of of prayer. We have to spread ourselves out, not just our situation, but ourselves out. We have to spread ourselves out before God to say, God, would you please do something? Would you please do something? And I'm giving my life to you. I'm giving the situation to you, but here I am. I want you to see. I want you to hear. And God, I want you to act, but I'm also surrendering to you. This is great. Then we're done. Look at verse 21. Then Isaiah, the son of Amos, sent to Hezekiah saying this, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel. Don't miss this. Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel. Because, because you have prayed to me concerning Sennacherib, king of Assyria. This is the word that the Lord has spoken concerning him. And he goes on to talk about how God is going to bring Sennacherib to an end. Why? Because he prayed. Some people get lost, and it's a good philosophical thing when you're up way too late at night. Like, it's a good philosophy thing. Well, would God have done if I wouldn't pray? Here's the thing. The Bible doesn't even address that. You know why? Because the Bible expects us to pray, and when we pray, what happens? God does some stuff. That's how it works. But I mean, very clearly right here. Like, he prayed, and it's precisely because he prayed. Thus says the Lord the God of Israel, because you've prayed to me, I'm going to do this. When we pray, God moves. That's how it works. So let's be people who pray. God, I'm not the most important part of this. I'm spreading it out before you, and I know I'm not the most important part, but would you see, would you hear, and would you act, and I'm giving myself to you. And so before we go to communion, and we will here in just a moment, here's what I want to do. It's a different kind of day, a different kind of invitation, different kind of moment right now. Um, If you've got some stuff in your life that maybe you need to take your letter from Sennacherib, and just spread it before the Lord. Uh, In just a moment, we'll all stand together, and I'm just going to invite you forward. 
You can line up here. You can go kneel. If you need to sit, you can sit. If you need to stand, you can stand. We're just going to line up right here. And then we collectively will pray and just put these things before God. And when we put these things before God, we'll trust that he will see, he will hear, and he will act. So if you need to get settled, put some stuff up, I'm going to invite the guys back up to come um, lead us in a song as we do so. If you've got things you need to fold up, go ahead and put them where they go. And then let's all stand together. And if you need to set something before the Lord, you come forward. Come forward right now. We won't, if you need to bring somebody with you, that's fine too. We don't, this isn't uh, uh, part of our Sunday morning stuff typically, but I just, I'm pressed by this. If you need to come, just as I said, you can come and kneel, you can come and stand, sit, whatever you need to do. Some of you have health things, some of you have spiritual things, some of you are praying for friends. Whatever it is, you make your way forward right now. There's no shame, no embarrassment. We're all carrying something.